Geek for another week, and joining me, as always, Tom McGill, Dan Miller, hello, and Rick Legato. <laughs> um, Rick is uh, absent at the moment. Uh, he is currently working on a replacement for the apostrophe, um, and it's taken on uh, a much more scope than he originally had planned. Such is changing the uh, literary world from the ground up. It's a big task. So we're replacing him with a garden gnome, and if the garden gnome small comma big does task. better, yeah. Well, it's a garden gnome. It's it's a clone of a garden gnome from a galaxy far, <laughs> far away. That's right. Um, I'm so wondering what 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 is he supposed to hold? Did he go? I, I once caught a bounty. It <laughs> <laughs> was this big. Well, after I disintegrated him, this was all that was left. Well, you're not. If bounty, if, if by bounty you mean the uh, delicious chocolate treat, um, oh, it nice comes one. with a bowl. So all right. he's a servant uh, bounty hunter, yeah. basically. Yeah. And he's flat. He sits against the wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, you feel you either put your car keys in the bowl ah. or chocolates, depending on what sort of house you're running. Uh, so yes, Rick's with us in spirit. He's alive and well. Mm-hmm. He hasn't COVID hasn't taken him out. Good. Um, uh, but yes, he's quite busy at the moment uh, doing some uh, doing some assessment and, and various other things. And as I said, he's a one man uh, crusade to change the face of writing as we know it. Um, let me allow me to introduce the film that we're uh, having a look at today. It's mm. the 1992 sci-fi film. <laughs> nice. Yes. Free Jack. Free Jack. Now, before we move any further, mm. um, who suggested this film? Was it Boba Rick yeah. over there, who's currently not here, strangely conspicuously enough? Conspicuously not here. Conspicuously <laughs> not here. Um, I can certainly point the finger at him now that he can't defend himself. That's right. So I'm worried that something might get vaulted at, uh, at this uh, statue throughout the show. Mm. Um, but... Well, in his absence, um, well, they say absence is, is a dangerous thing because if you're not at the table, you're the you're the topic of conversation. Mm. <laughs> so, um, basically, what's going to happen is um, we're going to have a look at the narrative in this episode. Normally, we take a c- three episodes ish to have a look at a film. This time around, because of the absence of Rick, we're going to try to uh, do it in two. We'll see how we go. And the episode one is where Dan's going to take us through some uh, some narrative beats of the film and have a look at the film from a narrative perspective with his um, with his segment, what the plot. So, should we change the segment to where's the plot? <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. the plot? Yeah. Is, is there a plot? Is the plot. 
can the plot. Mm-hmm. I remember when we were talking about this before, um, you know, we were planning the show and when we were going to do it, and you came up to me at some stage or other and you said, have you seen the movie yet? And I said, no. And you sort of did some strange head movements mm-hmm. and eyebrows going in different directions. And I kind of got the idea that... Um, you didn't cut the muscle. <laughs> yeah, that there was something missing or something terrible was about to happen when I watched the movie. Yeah. Mm. The, the, the answer, there's only two answers to did you see the movie yet. One is no, the other is just a facial expression. <laughs> I I say you're giving it dis- disservice. You're giving the movie disservice. No, no, no. Well, no. it's 1992. Mm. So am I wrong or do we have to hold this thing up to a higher standard than some of the other films that we've looked there at? There were other films out there at the time that were doing so better and they wanted to follow suit. They wanted to make a nice science fiction movie like Terminator 2 or whatever was coming out at the same time. So is that your theory that it's amongst champions and therefore it should be no it should have less excuses i'm saying i'm saying it's a really good b movie oh that's what Um, i'm saying well that's pretty early early uh (laughs) early decision coming through there with no evidence i would also like to highlight so you watched it i've said i've said um it's pretty bad for a 92 movie and tom's gone no it's pretty good for a b movie yeah. So we're sort of uh, sub, we're sec- sectioning off into subsections of the genres. Yeah, I think just, to, I think, just to throw it a bone. I think the expectations were were, were different. Mm. I think people had back then when when it really got all those bad reviews, and it's not a not a particularly good movie, I, I must say. But the expectations I think were were for something higher. It was really well, lauded as a Emilio Estevez. Yeah, yeah. Mick Jagger. Mm. Rene Russo, Anthony Hopkins, Jonathan Banks, David uh, Johansson, another big one down, John Sh- uh, John Shea, he, he went Shea, on to yeah. do a lot. Um, Jerry Hall's even in it. Yeah, it's a cameo. Mick Jagger's missus is in it, right? When you look at that, in 1992, you would think... What yeah. could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, I saw $30 million <laughs> budget, <laughs> sci-fi. I saw mm-hmm. a nice reviewer who, who summed up the, the, the pitch of this film. He said, the coach of the Mighty Ducks... The lead singer of the Rolling Stones and Hannibal Lecter walk into a sci-fi movie. <laughs> Very accurate. Very accurate. And and it does sound like the start of a joke, doesn't it? Um, so, yes, I, I'm with you, Tom. The, the expectations would have been high. It but mine been high. weren't, right? I, I always thought this was a bad movie. So when I watched it, I was pleasantly surprised. I, 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 I might be the one-thirds of us who will take the opposing position tonight, but I enjoyed the film. My expectations were really high in 1992 when I was about to see it. Yeah, then you get disappointed. And then I saw it. Then you get disappointed. And I even recognised at the time, well, they've dropped the ball here, I don't know what this mess is. And I couldn't follow, I just couldn't follow any through line, any through story of the thing. It felt very in and out, almost like there were two stories shoved together. Mm. And we might talk about this a little bit later. Um, there, there is some... Well, I can see that we're already screen drama that, that <laughs> might have driven some of it. I can see that we're already just drifting straight Stop to the conclusion. Clock. It's Stop like the clock. Yes, it's yes. straight to the conclusion. <laughs> let's, let's, Dan, take over. Come on, mate. Uh, okay. Um, so well, let's talk about the story. So I suppose really we've got to talk. You know, we've got to give a little bit of evidence for our conclusions that we're drawing here. So, um, uh, so I wanted to talk about yeah the story, perhaps a little bit about the characters, um, some of the plot points that happen, and that type of stuff. So. Um, one g- good way to think about the story, I think that works really well, is to think about it in a three-act structure. And there's a beginning, middle, and an end. 
So there's an opening act, there's a kind of a middle act, and then there's a sort of an ending act. And they're all characterized by a couple of different things. And this is one of the things that you were talking about, about random movies crashing into each other and bubbling around and becoming some sort of... So there's time travel in the start. Mm -hmm. There's a escape from New York junk city thing going on in the middle. Yep. And then it ends with the Matrix. The, the 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 floppy disk oh, five point five megabyte matrix. You've skipped straight over the um, the, the clumsy love story, the I love know. interest thing that's inter, interspersed all the way through it, clumsy, even to the point yeah. where who changed the channel? I was watching a sci-fi movie here five minutes ago. Whoever came in here and changed the channel? Yes, yeah. it felt like that about three or four times through the film. Yes, especially yes. in the first ten or fifteen minutes, which sets up the sort of movie you're about to watch, where you. I was thinking of it in terms of, you know, um, like the the third act talking duck, right? So you have a movie where everybody's some rom-com with people talking and the first act people are talking, and boyfriend and girlfriend, second act things start going a little bit wrong and boyfriend and girlfriend and they split up and then the third act he goes down the park and he sits on a park bench and a duck comes up and just says hey dude how you going <laughs> and he's like oh i don't know my girlfriend's broken up with me and he said don't worry you're a champ and like where does this duck come from why is this in the movie you know nobody told me about this at the start and it, that's what's happening in this movie. It starts off with time travel, and they kind of forget about time travel a little bit later on. And as we're, we're ramping down on the time travel, the Matrix starts to climb in. All the while, we've got this um, dirty world, this junk world stuff going on in the background. Mm -hmm. So what's the, what's the actual, what's the plot? What is the actual story? What, what is the good guy trying to do? What's the bad guy trying to do? Well, good actually, guys trying to survive. What do you? Well, it, yeah, it's driven by the bad guys, really. In it's driven film. by the bad they've, guys. They've they got have an, an agenda. Yeah, there's there's a deliberate. <laughs> he's very reactive, but they have plan. So it's easier to follow their story, I guess. They have to fill bodies in the future of people who are. No, they have to fill. Yeah, bodies with with brains essentially. As That's right. They're stealing, they're stealing people from the past who are dying, who are just close to death, just and they know exactly where that person is yep. in yes. time and space at the exact time. Right. So they have some sort of time travel snatching technology that can grab a person, provided you know where they are. A young, Soop. young, fresh person yep. with with a good body. Yep. Yes. And you have to snatch them in well, the exact same space. You don't want to get well. an old geezer. What do you mean in the exact same space? Well, they had to drive that that convoy at the start was yep. to get the actual doctors, the machine, the time oh, machine, where th to where the guy had to crash in no, the car. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, okay. In order to steal him. So why are they stealing people from the past? They're stealing people from the past. Fresh meat. Well, fresh meat in the sense the that they're going to copy and paste people's brains into those bodies into the that they body. steal from the past. Yep. Because the people's yeah. brains are in bodies. What they're avatars. Dying. They're meat bags. They're, yeah, yeah. Meat yeah. bag yeah. avatars. Mm. And okay. Anyway. What, what I thought was interesting is they also frown upon these people that they're stealing from, like society in the future. Mm. Don't like them as a, as an entity. Like well, I guess they, they refer to them as free jackers and yeah. like they want to lock them out and throw bricks at them and all sorts of stuff. Well, it's, it's like a, 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 a conniving little rich guy who gets a second chance in life. Yeah, you would ha you would hate those. Yeah, it makes sense. So what was some of the logical problems with that plot story? One of them jumps out quite bigly. Um, with the time yes. aspect of it. 
the one that I'm thinking of is why do they have to steal people from back in time <laughs> yeah. to... Yeah. Because they ain't murderers. They take well, people who are a millisecond before they die, they would be dead uh, anyway, yeah. so they take them. And yes, they can only okay. do that once they know that this person has died, so they can only go back in time to get them. Yeah. So there was this kind of weird legalese thing that they had to try and try and do, but there was another reason as well. Well, it's either ethical or... or um there's some sort of condition in the future that that, right. that deteriorates bodies, or you don't want to put your essence into a shitty, um, old school, dirty model. Oh yeah, don't you, they have you an ozone top of the layer? Line. That's right. They so have there's an ozone a, layer issue, don't they? So there's also the escape from New York yeah. junk world where everybody's half a zombie, and so the rich people don't want want to swap bodies with icky people. They want nice fresh ones. But the plot hole is that other rich people are nice fresh ones, so why can't they just swap with that and, fresh and one? And later in the film, they don't have any issues about killing people. No. So why do they have this <laughs> end? And as somebody else pointed out I read in, in a random comment, is like, why don't they time travel, vacuum clean up their own body yeah. from when they were a kid yeah. and just keep leapfrogging that yeah. way? Anytime you dabble in the, in the, in the pool that is time travel... Um, you got more headaches than mm. anything else. Um, at least it wasn't one of those time travel movies where they shove the time offset down your throat, where you've got to play all these in-jokes and things like that because I'm out of time, you know, Back mm. to the Future mm-hmm. um, does it. When you they're trying back, to avoid they themselves forward, or catch it. themselves or whatever, yeah. and there's loops and weird things going on. It's um, Sylvester Stallone with the three seashells all over again, isn't it? And yeah. It's rat, the, rat it's, burgers. It's the yeah, rat burgers and things. Is this this is the junk world that happens in the middle? So the, the time travel is this kind of throwaway thing that they almost kind of don't need anymore. They just kind of get rid of it as soon as they've done it at the start. Yep. Um, so another thing that characterizes the movie is that it's a chase movie. Yep. So we and in fact Emilio Estevez is a who's the the hero. He's a race car driver. Script writing genius. <laughs> What? You mean scriptwriting genius? Well, there's a chase movie, so you make the ha- main character a race car driver. It's genius. <laughs> okay, right, yes. This is, uh, this is meta. Justifies this justifies why he can yeah, do all those cool stunts with cars in the future. I'm sure that was in the pitch. <laughs> pitch meeting. And, yeah. okay, um, so we then spend the whole movie just chasing... The bad guy's chasing Emilio Estevez and they capture him. I mean, and then he escapes and then they find him down the bar and they shoot their laser guns and he runs away and he gets on a motorboat and kind of drives fairly slowly and get in a bubble car and drive somewhere else. Mm. Yeah, it is. A, a, it's a chase movie through through the future, um, through, through the post-apocalyptic the, future. Through the dirty world, the junk is world. Is it post-apocalyptic? It is, isn't it? Like yeah, it's, when everybody's yeah. sleeping in boxes, I think. Yeah, the world's gone to shit. shit. Went down. Yeah. yeah, and the rich people are in the big building somewhere, yeah. Yeah. and all the poor people live on the streets. The other thing that I thought was weird about the movie generally at the was that um, when Emilio Estevez starts babbling crazily because he's trying to find his girlfriend, right? That's right. And so he goes to his place where his girlfriend used to live. He says, where's my girlfriend? Where's Large my girlfriend? black man opens the door. Yes. And he says, where's my girlfriend? And they say, we don't know who you're talking about. And then the the, the people who are in the, the apartment kind of put two and two together and say, he's a free jack from back in time. Yep. You know, and then they call the cops and all this sort of stuff happens. But there's rewards and stuff. Are they? Is that why they're... 
pretty. I don't know. They didn't like the. Is, is it based on the fact that there's something in it for them, or that it, it's society? I is think they know that there's a rich person involved who will stop at nothing to yeah, get that free product. Jacket. And, I, and they, they don't, don't want to be collateral. They don't want to have okay. yeah nothing of it. Yep. But I was amused at their um, their ability to detect free jacks from back in time because it must be very common <laughs> yes but, well it might be very common but at least everybody else on the street was a babbling lunatic, lunatic just as crazy as emilio estevez was they're all eating rats and you know running up and down the street with machine guns shooting each other in broad daylight i like the uh, i like the premise that they zap him in they wake him up so that they can make sure that he's okay and then say right let's get the brain out <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bottomizer <laughs> Well, that's perhaps another part of the, the story that's um, a little bit um, um, interesting to talk about because, um, and we're stepping into Boba Rick um, territory here, mm-hmm. the writing. Um, but who was the writer? Well, I think it's someone that we've heard of before. Recently. Very recently, in fact. Sheckley? It was Robert Sheckley, Bob Sheckley. And he did it, um, he had a lot to do with. Heavily influenced over Condor Man. Yeah, so our last, our film. last thing, both of them were Bob Sheckley's. Now, the thing is that I haven't read the books, but you know I've read reports from people who have read the books, and they reckon both Condor Man and this one, which was called um, Time Inc. or something. Damn it, I can't remember exactly what it was. Yeah, that both of them are comedies, at least. Both of them are funny. Both of them are. Really? Satirical. The books. The books. But That's none of that, well, at least in in the um, in Free Jack, none of that ten, tends to come through. It comes through as a, you know, a gritty, gritty action thriller chase movie. Mm. No, there's no humour. Is there any humour in it? Yeah. Does there's, anyone there's, try there's, to? There's when here, Mr. Turtleneck, the bodyguard, ah, yes, yeah. when they when they're trapped, and he goes, "What do you mean, we white guy?" <laughs> Just kidding. There was your point of humour. Yeah. The single point of humour. Single point um, of humour. It wasn't that funny. He was the chopper pilot in... Um, What's his name? What was that guy's name? Grant L. Boone. Boone. The actor is Grant L. Bush. I keep seeing him as, you know, offsider, helper, yeah, yeah. friend. He was in, in several, 100 movies. He was in Demolition Man. He was the chopper pilot. And then oh, we saw he? an older version of him, not the same actor, Later on, in the police room, he was the guy with all the ex- exposition about how they used to do it in the old that day. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. was the top of the young version of the guy that had all the exposition in Demolition Man later on in the yeah. control room, talking about how Spartan, John Spartan, you know, one man army, all the rest of it. But he was the younger version. He's been in other things too, I think. He's been lethal in. Weapon. Yes, Lethal Weapon. There you go. And so in this movie, he has a machine gun and what else? Turtleneck. Uh, machine gun and a turtleneck. Okay, that's, that's almost as cheesy as what Isn't it a limo? No, he has a machine gun and a katana. Oh, he has a sword. That's right. Not ah. a sword, a katana. Sorry, sir. Yes. <laughs> that's important. It's the 90s. But I think, yes, the inclusion of the turtleneck actually fits the ensemble perfectly. Machine gun, turtleneck, and katana. katana. Yeah. All right. So we haven't really... I, I, normally we go through this sort of narrative in a a sort of a direction but you know this movie had a little bit of trouble with direction time travel you can get away with it yeah yeah um so i wanted to highlight another thing just these these sort of things that this blobs that sort of characterize this movie another one was that we had this 
hierarchy of bad guys. Yes. There's a bad guy, and on top of that was the level boss, on top of that was the sub-boss, and on top of that was the real boss, and on top of that was the double boss. This gigantic thing. And every single one of those bosses, level sub-bosses, double-crossed each other and became friends with Emilio Estevez and then double-crossed him and then turned back. And then helped him and then stopped him. And I couldn't work out what the fuck was going on most of that. I've seen a lot of films um, that suffer from the same thing. If you stuff around with the motivations of your characters mid-film mm. without any backstory or anything, you're in trouble. Yeah. Because the person, the, the audience has already latched on to what, what drives them. They've got a general understanding of who they are. Even if they're a I-could-do-anything-at-any-moment character, at least I know that that's who that character is. Mm-hmm. But if you turn them into teddy bears and candy floss mm-hmm. for no good reason and they're gone I don't I'm not on board yeah. I can't hate yeah, them love yeah, them yeah. or anything there's yeah. there's nothing I can um, latch on to so in cowboy movies they have the black hat people and the yeah. white hat people yeah. and it's very simple but Mick <laughs> keep Jagger, the motivations o- obvious Mick Jagger is doing a really charming bad guy from the start I thought I thought his performance in this was not the performance of a no 60, he's probably 58 here in this film. I cracked up when his first, when he opened his mouth mouth for the first time. He's in this tank and they're chasing into the, they have to get there at a certain point in time. Don't know why they're in a rush because it's time travel. They have all the time they need. But what are the first, he opens his mouth and the first thing he says is, okay, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Slurred British accent. (laughs) That's charming. I mean, that is not a dangerous, there's not, he, he looks scary. He maintained he the same character through the film, didn't he? Did you did you get a sense that at any point he wasn't the same character? The way I'm going to approach this discussion is you guys are free to have your own opinions and <laughs> um, talk and, and discuss things, but I'll give you the right opinion at the end. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think as one of the one of the most important things for an actor's um, for an actor to do on screen is to make sure, make sure through the entire thing you are that person, right? You are pretending to be that person, therefore you act, react, you say things, the inflection, the emotion, everything is that character all the way through. Mm-hmm. As soon as you jump out or you don't match up where you were last week in that scene, mm-hmm. the whole thing becomes a friggin' mess. Mm-hmm. He didn't do a bad job for a 60-year-old rock star. Is he 16, though, didn't he? Well, he's about... A th- 3,000 at the moment. <laughs> like, um, he, they were making hits yeah, in yeah. the 60s. Yeah, yeah. He's got to be 60. Yeah, you're right. I think he's pushing 75 at the moment. I, don't I think he's considerably older. If only I could click on his name here and find out exactly. Um, continue. All right. So, um, yes, another big thing in the movie is that Mick Jagger is in the movie. He's a bounty hunter. He's a bounty hunter. So he's one of those tier bosses. Yeah, he's... He's been thing, contracted right? to to bring in the fr- the free jack um, mm. that he, Emilio Estevez. Yeah, so he's the, the, the sort of main grunt enemy who... He seems to know, be in charge. Yeah. He yeah. gives the decision to pull out, even though the doctors he's uh, got aren't a big ready. Goon. They haven't chopped his brain out yet and whatever. He's, he's got 48. a big goon squad. He's 48 in that, this movie. He's 48 in that movie. Sweet Jesus. Yeah. He does look older. Oh, he always looks older. He was born in 43. 43. So, so what is he now? Um, film was filmed in 1991. He's now 76. He's now 76. Yeah. Okay. Not 3,000. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> yeah. All, All right. right. So 
Oh, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Go. So Mick Jagger um, can't act. Can't not act. That's the point I'm trying to make. Like, no, no, no. he can't act. But like can't. I said, I'll give you the right opinion at the end here. No, I think he played nicely. I think he was <laughs> no, one no, of the no, better. No, 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 no. Better. Look, there's there were only two points of acting in this two kinds of acting in this movie, and he was nicely in the middle. Yep. It was either the non-stoic thing that Emilio Estevez and uh, and the was she um, Russo. Russo, also from Lethal Weapon. So um, Rene Russo and, and Emilio Estevez, who don't do much at all, and then there is the over-the-top scenery scenery chewing that every single secondary actor is doing, from Amanda Plummer to. Yep. To Anthony Hopkins, who always does it, to the the guy in the with the gun, <laughs> the gun. who eats his food. Yeah, you in know, the the hostel, the hostel whatever thing, it was, you, the cafe. You keep looking at me, junk cafe. The last thing you see is me killing you. That guy. Yeah, that and, guy. And, and, and then the the the, the um, friend, the um, oh, no. David Johansson, Brad. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, he was 100. percent He was everybody. He was at 12. Everybody yes, was. Emelda Plummer definitely always is anyway because she's got, you know, she, she was fed scenery with her breast milk yeah. <laughs> from her parents' side. This David Johansson in this film still had a voice box. Oh. He doesn't have a voice box anymore. Oh, like, this is how he talks. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it yeah. seems like he, he, he smoked cigars this fat and, and um, gargled gravel every morning. You should hear his voice now. But yes, in this film, you can actually understand the words that he's saying. And what about the eagle guy? The eagle. <laughs> I can't help but feel every single character, which was great. I enjoyed it a lot. But I may um, have been abducted, um, and had I may have some missing time, because there's been at least three or four occasions in the last twenty minutes where you guys have spoken about things in this film that I have no <laughs> recollection of whatsoever, and you I've got a feeling it, that there was there's there's blind spots going on in my memory of this field, and I blame the film. The film does it. The film, it's all the film. The film does it. Because I can't remember that. You would remember the eagle. Is that Dan, Is his performance ac picture. accurate? No, I don't remember the eagle either. Is he fucking grief? Yeah, it's Tom's one of the watching most the wrong memorable movies. parts of that film. It's the when 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 Emilio Estevez swims in the water and he lands on on shore, and there's this homeless black guy. Oh, no no no. I, no, no, this was not accidental. I deliberately, <laughs> I deliberately blanked that out because I was like, holy fucking Christ, what the? That was the great. It was priceless acting. <laughs> no, 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 that's deliberate. I'm, I'm still not finished with Mick Jagger yet. <laughs> okay. Um, I read a lot of um, comments from people and there were basically two comments. It's like 0.5, you know, of a star out of 10 for acting like zero level acting cannot act 100% and then there were people who were up the other end these are the people with the wrong opinion <laughs> who, who would say something like Mick Jagger's campy acting style in this movie was such a riot ha 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 I loved it and those are the people with the wrong opinion <laughs> um, I found him to be just fucking awful everything the worst thing okay so there's a bunch of things were layering on top of each other. He's got this half British accent. Yeah. This half, slightly half Cockney accent that was completely non-committal. You're either, I don't know if it's Cockney or whatever, but you're either one or you're, you're not. You're not. So he's half and half in that. Where was it shot? Can you remember, Tom? Was it shot in the UK or the US? Probably the US. I'm not sure. Um, 
And then the other thing was that his inflections were all over the place. So, you know, if the line was, um, there he is, get him, you know, normal people or normal bad guys would say, there he is, get him, you know, but he was like, there he is, get him. <laughs> and it'd just be this. The, there this, he is, uh, yeah, get him. Get him. I think that There'd is what I found made Uncanny so valley, this uncanny <laughs> valley, this 8.9% off yeah. perfect yeah. that was like just so. Yeah, it was all. And we're still talking about Estevez, yeah? No, 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 no I'm talking Mick Jagger. Oh, I Estevez thought, I thought we were talking about anything. Estevez because no, 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 he's no. also got a point what? Yeah. Point five percent off in every shot as well, and that's his entire career. That mm. yes, no, Mick Jagger. I mean, Estevez was just doing Emilio Estevez. <laughs> he was just acting. Yeah, yeah. who was his character? His character yeah. was Emilio Estevez. Was it Young Guns? I think is the only film where his character fitted the character. <laughs> yes, that's and right. And it just happened to Between be a world's huge hit with all of these lined up. Yeah, yeah, big stars. But that being said, Rene Russo was playing Rene Russo. Yes, and Anthony Hopkins was playing Anthony Hopkins. Yep. Right. I guess that's why all the secondary characters shine so much. Yeah, because be they're right. the interesting ones. The rest of them are There's phoning the it in. Phone yeah. in. Give me the check. I'm out of here. Well, that's kind of what Mick Jagger was, right? They called him up the week beforehand and said, that's "Hey, right. Mick, you want to be in a crazy movie?" And he said, "Hey, hey, hey. yeah, I'm, you bet I do." Yeah, yeah. What do I? Do? What do I do again? <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Um. And yes, there was fairly cringy dialogue. Like that scene reminds me of bloody. The ear nibbling. Oh, the scene before he races. Yeah, that was just like deep cringe. Like, what the fuck? So, you know, they're trying to have a boyfriend-girlfriend moment and they're talking about ear nibbling. Mm -hmm. I think, um, and I won't won't spoil it, but something tells me when we, uh, when Tom um, exposes just the tip of this film later on in in our next episode, there could be some real reasons why this film struggled on the uh, narrative side of things. Okay, we won't really spoil them, but let's 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 look at it as a viewing experience at the moment, mm-hmm. and then maybe we'll discuss some of those nuances that might be able to circle back and and make some sense of why some of these things existed on the screen. All right, so um, I think that's most of the things that I wanted to talk about. It kind of wraps up with The Matrix, which we haven't talked about at the end. So it goes all 2001, you know, crazy Matrix, psychedelic, you know, nonsense that happens at the end. And then there's a kind of another double cross that leaves you with a sort of a twist in the end as who's really who and what's really going on, as if this movie needed any more of that. Um... And I don't know. That was there anything narratively in this film that you liked, that you thought worked? Oh, yes. No, no. There was the things that, that I kind of liked in the movie. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good reminder. Um, every now and again, there was a little flash. There was a little flash, like in the racing scene. There was a kind of a Michael Bay, Fast yeah. and Furious, yeah. Golden Hour, walking down the street. Little flash, just for a second. Like it had been directed like by it had been, somebody. He knew what they were doing. And every now and again, you know, in the dirty world, there'd be a little Blade Runner flash. Yeah. A little flash of steamy cyberpunk future. Yeah. It, then it'd just sort of disappear again. So... Sprinkled throughout the movie, there yep. was there was a whole bunch of those little tiny hints every now and again. You know what it is? It's the it's the pokey machine um, 
factor. It's the poking machine effect where you go, you got these people that ah, go and yes. sit for eight hours at the club <laughs> and they just <laughs> do this or that. And then 50 minutes later, they win 70 bucks. Yeah. They've put 90 in, mm-hmm. but they just had a win. Mm-hmm. And it makes all of this worth it. And I'm good for another two hours. That's what it felt like in this film. That there was a couple of scenes where you think, oh, hang on, like, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. I'll keep watching. Mm-hmm. Let me down, let me down, let me down. And then there's another one. <laughs> yeah. So it's the poker machine effect. Yeah, yeah, those kind of... Um, Little victories, lots of dis- disappointment. Uh, yes, yeah. Like even in the Matrix bit at the end, the best scene in the movie is when they've got their hands on the giant giant balls and there's like this lightning going between their brains and there's like wind and stuff and it's like that's really cool it looks really awesome but yeah sorry, i'm sorry i missed that so i can't that. remember that oh that was that was worth so it so that's the, the conclusion the, the, of the, the film yeah yeah <laughs> that's when they're attempting to transfer their brains right that was yeah, one i definitely film. didn't see that so i've obviously passed out <laughs> towards the end of the film but then convinced myself that i hadn't probably because i didn't want to go through it again I watched it twice. Did you? Just to fuck myself again. Normally, I'm proud to say, normally I'm proud to say, in fact, every movie that we've ever done, I've watched two or three times. But this one, I couldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I could not do it. Come on, we've seen worse films. No, we have not seen worse films. Transformers. No, no. Okay. Well, okay, yes. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, this film is almost in the same ballpark as Transformers for a lot of the same reasons. Yes, yes, yes. Where it's like a trailer of eclectic ideas shoved together and then someone went through later and with their finger drew some roads <laughs> in amongst the ideas. <laughs> yeah, just make that work. Yeah, yeah. Now, for me, it's it's in the ballpark of it's so bad, it's good. It's entertaining. Uh, I no, 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 no. I don't no, think no. it's bad enough to be good, bad. No, no, no. It's not the right kind of bad for me. I know where you're coming from, but it's just not making it there. <laughs> That's what I can do with that. <laughs> Emilio Estevez <laughs> in the yeah. bedroom. Yeah, one of the first shots in the film is um, yes, is shapely uh, Emilio's thighs. ball sack hanging out in in, in the bed. Um, yes, Full indeed. Resolution. So, so yeah, I don't know. That's it. So, I don't know. We can. Everybody probably knows our conclusions already, but <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, did any of you actually see the film before recently? I saw it in 92. No. Oh, you said that. You said you yeah. saw it in 92. I saw it originally. And-, and I don't think it came to our shores on the screens. Oh. And the reason I'm saying that is that if you if you look at uh, Box Office Mojo or, or even in, in uh, IMDb, the budget, $30 million. Um, opening weekend, $6.7 million. Gross USA total, $17 million. <laughs> Seventeen million one hundred twenty-nine thousand. Thirty million budget. Worldwide, seventeen million one hundred twenty-nine thousand. Which means it didn't go. It didn't. Yeah. It didn't leave the shores. Mm. It only ran domestically. Mm. So they probably didn't have an international distributor that was willing to pick the damn thing up. And we're living in the age of Canon films at that stage, and all their competitors. I, B-grade movies still didn't pick it up. And I read wide. reviews from like the Washington Post in nineteen ninety-two, and they were very lacklustre. With you know, coal. Yeah, exactly. At, at best. Yep. So, um, is that it for your uh, for your deep dive into the uh, <laughs> a bit into, like this movie? The it just, yeah, it just it's just a bit of a mess, and it just kind of stops after a while, <laughs> and you forget bits of it. Awesome. Well, that's been another <laughs> awesome uh, episode of What the Plot with Dan Miller.
But that's it for our first episode for Free Jack, having a look at the 1992 sci-fi film Free Jack. Mm. Notice I'm not throwing classic around. I usually <laughs> throw that around like a man with eight arms, and uh, it has not been mentioned because this is not a classic for any reason, Tom, <laughs> for any reason. Um, so that's it for our uh, first episode in looking into Free Jack. Join us again uh, next week when we have a look at some trivia and we've also got a bit of a quiz to make sure, to, to see if the boys have been paying attention. Mm-hmm. So until next time, it's bye from me. Goodbye. Off you to zine. How many of you are there?